I got home from church last night. Last night, and uh, am I on? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Got home from church last night. Rode my bicycle, stationary bike, for an hour. Uh, lifted weights for a little bit. I got a treadmill, and uh, do that just about every night. And I'm going to go on a bicycle trip for 2,000 miles here shortly. And I'm going to run a half marathon in November. And somebody said, why do you do that? Well, because I want to have some energy because I have goals for the next 17 years as a pastor. And uh, I've uh, been 43 years pastoring now. And my prayer every morning, Lord, I want to bear more fruit in the next 17 than I did in the previous 43. Please, would you please bless me with that? And so I think about what I can do as a pastor to make that happen. I don't preach as much as I used to and uh, uh, fish more than I used to, and I still want to bear more fruit. And so I believe that that will be the result of investing in the lives of people, teaching, training, discipling people who will do the same and uh, who will do the same and who will do the same. And uh, so that's my goal. I teach a leadership class on Saturday night with guys and Sunday morning at 1 o'clock with guys Sunday morning right after this with ladies. And then I have a leadership two on Thursday, a leadership three on Tuesday night. And I'm thinking maybe I started leadership four. Uh, leadership is not being boss. It's being an influencer. That is where you go. You influence people just by the way you talk, by the way you live. The choices you make, people are attracted to Jesus. They grow in character because of your life. That's what it means to be a leader for Christ. And so that's what these are about. And so the ones in the class have been going eight months, and today uh, they're graduating, as it were, by giving a short sermon, and uh, they are going to be wonderful. You will be powerfully blessed. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, the first one will come up, and we'll take off. So you, you will enjoy this immensely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each person that was in leadership this year, for the diligence, for the work, uh, the study, all that they've done. Bless them. Use them. Lord, provide so many opportunities for them to do great things for you in the days ahead because of their love for you, their devotion, their faithfulness. Thank you for each one. Use them now. Fill them with your spirit. Grant them a special anointing and work in each of our lives as we listen uh, to them share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Sean. My family and I have been attending JBC for about a year. Today I'm supposed to come up here and spend a few minutes talking about men's leadership class. I've elected instead to talk about love. So let's talk about love. Matthew 22, 37 and 38 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Most of us have heard this before, but how then do we love God? Here are some ways I think we should love God and how they worked in my life. We need an intimate relationship with God to fill that empty spot in our hearts, first and foremost. How do we build a relationship and connect with Him? How do we get to know Him? First, we must have a conversation with Him through prayer. I began by praying a little, here and there, at meals and etc. And then I began to keep track of my prayers with a smartphone app called PrayerMate what I want to pray for to keep myself on track so my mind didn't wander. Here and there, people have said, pray for me, and I add them to the list. Or I think of someone who needs prayer, and then I add them. I pray a prayer committing my life to Jesus each morning that I will obey him, submit to him, making him the master of my life each morning first thing when I wake up. 
and then I prayed my other prayers for about a total of 20 minutes later in the day. But if I wait until too late in the day to pray, it throws me off. I get down and I feel disconnected from the Lord. Once I finally pray, I feel rejuvenated and reconnected to God. I need this time connecting with Him or I don't feel complete. The more time you spend sowing seeds with your prayer, the more you will be blessed. Individual, individual prayer, prayer is pivotal, but corporate prayer is where the church began. We should make an effort to connect up with other believers and talk with God together. There are lots of corporate prayer opportunities at JBC, but that's only half the picture. We must also be quiet and listen. We do that through reading the Word. I read the daily Bible plan on the JBC website each day, which is a good place to start. But when I feel the most plugged in and excited about reading the Word is when I wait for the Holy Spirit to guide me. I'll think about what to read and just kind of wait and listen. Sometimes I just pick a place to start, and other times the Holy Spirit guides me. One time, no joke, I heard a voice say Romans when I was thinking about what to read. Needless to say, I promptly sat down and read the entire book of Romans. It was a cool experience. Bible reading also helps overcome the influences of the world and our flesh. Reading the Word increases our effectiveness when we pray, our prayer power. Reading the Bible strengthens our faith, and who couldn't use more faith? Reading your Bible equips you to make wise decisions. Saving up verses in our heart and memory honors God and demonstrates our love for Him. Memorizing verses gives you the power of the sword of the Spirit to resist the devil and his demons. Now that we have a connection to God and a relationship with Him, how else can we give Him our love? I give my love to God through worship, through song. I had been to a church in Salem once that had worship similar to ours. I was not impressed. When my family was looking for a church, I told them I wanted to go to a church that didn't have a rock band. I wanted a church, not a rock concert. When we first came to JBC, I enjoyed the sermons, but I wasn't fired up about worship. But now it has grown on me, and now I love worship. And you want to talk about the Holy Spirit working in someone. How else can I stand up during worship and sing a song I've never even heard before as if it is the millionth time I've sung it? I listen to Christian and worship music in the truck and at home almost exclusively. Pull up next to me to stoplight and watch me belt out Only King Forever or Storm All Around You Like a Fool for Jesus. Don't let your pride get in the way of worshiping the Lord. When we get to heaven, we're all going to spend eternity worshiping, worshiping God. Let's practice here and get good at it. There's nothing else we can do that will help us feel God's presence like worship. Giving our money to God shows that we love Him and we're willing to sacrifice for Him. Dee told us about being a clean pipe, whereby if you come into unexpected money and you give it all, more money will come your way. Being a clean pipe means you don't take your cut. A while back, my family received a check in the mail for a bank fee we overpaid years ago. It wasn't a lot, but we cashed the check and we put the money in the offering plate. And a couple weeks later, another check showed up. We cashed that, put that in the offering plate too. We gave it all. And then my wife got a small bonus on her paycheck, so we took that out of the ATM and gave that too. 
Um, now we're waiting for the next unexpected money. It's the clean pipe game. We've made it a point to set aside money for the Lord and special offerings as well. When we give, God blesses our ministry. He uses uh, our giving to test us. When we give, God removes the curses and rebukes the devourer. What we give now will be waiting for us when we get to heaven. I'm hoping for a log cabin. (laughs) Showing trust shows your loving commitment to submit yourself to God. Casting your cares and worries on Him. Trusting Him with your life and all the things in it. Well, who can you trust with so much if not the one you love most? I've spoken before about trusting Jesus and how meditating on scripture verses has helped me overcome my anxiety. At the time I quoted Proverbs, this time it's Psalms 112.7. He will not be afraid of evil tidings, his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. What do we have to fear with God in our corner? If you cast all your worries on him, gathering all your cares together, then pray, Lord, I'm giving my cares and worries to you. You can let go of it all. If he's taking care of it, what is there to be afraid of? He will always look out for your best interest. You can count on that. So trust him. It's worked for me, and it can work for you too. Now, who else are we commanded to love? Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine instructs us to love your neighbor as yourself. So you should love others as much as you value yourself. How can we love others? For me, I have narrowed, down, narrowed it down to three ways. Commitment. Commit to do what you say. Be a man or woman of your word, whether it is a legal contract or the covenant of marriage. If you tell your spouse you'll be home at five, make it happen. And if you're running late, tell them so they don't worry and they know you care enough to keep them in the loop. Only have eyes for your husband or wife. Don't make promises you can't keep. Commit to spending time with your, with your spouse, quality time. Commit to your children that you'll spend real one-on-one time with each of them. Commit to your church family that you'll be involved. Do more than the bare minimum in all areas of your life. If you're in, you're really all in. Don't do things halfway. Service. Serve others at every opportunity. This could be big things or small things. It could be a small sacrifice or a big sacrifice. The important part is that you put others before yourself. Serve your family by doing things to build them up. Praise them endlessly. Spending time with your spouse, really listening to them, not just playing the part. Ask him or her what you can do to be to be better partner. And then listen without getting defensive or angry. Devote time to connecting with your children on their level. Ask what you can do with them together that they will enjoy. Make sacrifices for the good of your relationships. Serve your employer as if you're working for Jesus himself, because you are. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. If you look at your job as if Jesus is taking notice of all your efforts and attitude, and you work to please him, well, how rewarding will that be? How motivating will that be? How fulfilling will that be? The answer to that is very. Ask me how I know. Serve the church by giving your time as well as your resources. I can tell you from experience how rewarding this is. I'm not a pastor, but I can give my time and some elbow grease. Do what you can, where you can, and I guarantee you'll find yourself smiling. Storing up eternal rewards doesn't hurt either. 
Serve with compassion. Forgiveness. Forgive all those who've wronged you like ever. Recently, I was thinking about people I'd known in my life, and suddenly I thought of someone who had hurt me more than 20 years ago. I immediately felt negative and grumpy. I realized I still bore hatred for this person after all this time. I made the commitment then and there to forgive, then I prayed about it, and I felt relief like a cinder block lifted off of me. I'd been carrying that cinder block around for 20 plus years. What is more selfless and loving than forgiving and praying for someone who has hurt you? We all have people in our lives that have had a lasting negative influence on us in one way or another, some more than others. Carrying resentment and hatred for them gives them dominion over our thoughts. Do you think your lack of forgiveness hurts them? No, it hurts you and drags you down. Let it go. It's not acceptable to spend 20-plus years harboring anger and being petty because you've been treated poorly. You know what I do? I pray for those people because they need it. All of these are acts of love. These things I know that I've come before you to share, I know because of our pastor, D. Duke. A far wiser man than he will admit, if you want to learn and grow a ton, I urge you to take a leadership class in the fall. You'll be pushed way outside of your comfort zone, but the rewards are worth it. I feel fortunate that I did so early in my journey before I had a chance to establish bad habits or fall into a rut. This experience has opened my eyes to new ways of thinking and looking at things, assisting me in better serving Jesus and putting others before me. It has helped me to humble myself before God and to better fight to overcome the prideful tendencies of my flesh. I've been motivated to step up in all areas. I have learned how to successfully live in a God-centered manner. The tools I'm now equipped with afford me joy in all areas of my life. They can do the same for you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Holly Doughton. Since I'm standing up here on a pulpit and all, I feel like I should say something wise and weighty and spiritual. But I think I'll just tell you a story. So, once upon a time, there was me. And God saw fit to give me amazing parents, for whom I'm very thankful for. He also gave me four amazing siblings. I'm thankful for them 99% of the time. Growing up in a Christian home, I've known about God my whole life. I don't have some great drug addict to saint conversion story. When I was pretty young, I decided that I didn't want to go to hell, and it was pretty great God had died for me. So I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I knew from the beginning that God was meant to be everything to me and affect everything I did, said, and thought. But I kind of just assumed that would just happen. Turns out, becoming a Christian doesn't make it easier to be good. And getting baptized doesn't make you feel more spiritual or hear God when you pray. At least, it didn't for me. I knew, at least in part, what my relationship with God should look like. But I couldn't seem to get there. 
For years, I watched in frustration as everyone around me and all the people at my church seemed like they had it all together. Because doesn't everybody else always have it all together? I'm sure sometimes I felt connected to God, like I had a close, personal relationship with him. But it could have just been my mood or the circumstances, and I knew it. I tried really hard to do the right thing. I tried to love God, but it didn't seem to be working. When I started Pastor D's leadership class, it was so exciting, because right off the bat, I learned something earth-shaking. And it makes so much sense. See, my older sister Rachel is my best friend in the entire world, but I don't always like her. Sometimes I feel like whacking her over the head with a book, thick one, hardcover. Measuring a relationship by what you feel for someone is kind of dumb because you're not always going to feel like you love someone. And here's the other thing. Trying to feel something or grow isn't going to work. You could sit there and try until you're blue in the face and still be at square one. What you have to do is train. Does that not make so much sense? I'm a barrel racer. I understand that no matter how badly someone might want to jump on a horse and run a barrel pattern in 13.5 seconds, it's just not going to happen. You have to condition yourself and your horse. You have to practice and train. You have to work for it. Just trying won't help your leg yielding, your stride control, your split second turns, or the flying lead change between the first two barrels. Training will. Somehow, I never made the connection between everything else worthwhile and relationships, specifically my relationship with God. It takes time and effort. Here's where you might think the rest of the story is perfectly predictable. Pow! Moment of realization, and things are perfect. But no. I was all set for the happily ever after. I had the route all mapped out. Bible reading, praying, confession, all that good stuff. I was going to grow like crazy and finally build an amazing personal relationship with God. I had my goals, my spiritual disciplines, and I was so ready. I was going to go out and kill this thing. Well, it started out okay. I'd read my Bible before, but now there was a lot more motivation. And I'd say that I became better at the other spiritual disciplines, too. But, well, trying to grow closer to God through reading my Bible, I began to have a lot of questions. The closer I looked, the more I didn't understand. That's not the way it's supposed to work. But I wondered, why would a merciful God command the genocide of the Canaanites? How could it possibly work For God to choose ahead of time who he will adopt into his family, but then somehow the choice of salvation is up to us. And if God is in sovereign control of everything, including man's salvation, and he desires for none to perish, why are people going to hell? Wait, could he be lying about that? Could he be lying about who he said he was? 
Could he be lying when he said that, those who draw, that he will draw near to those who draw near to him? Because I was trying to draw near to God, but it wasn't working to try. And then I began to train, but look where that got me. Questions, and then doubts. James says that those who doubt when they ask will receive nothing. So now I really knew my praying wasn't doing any good. And my commitments to God in the morning felt fake. Because now, not only had I not seen or felt evidence of God when I was trying, but I haven't seen or felt evidence of him when I was training, either. All I wanted was to grow. God, what in the world? I thought if I worked at this, you'd become more real, more close. This isn't working. I wanted to know you through the Bible, but now I doubt you. I wanted to know you through prayer, but now you're further than ever. I wanted to know you through seeking wisdom, but I can't seem to find you anywhere. This is not working how I planned. This is not working how I wanted it. How I wanted it to. Huh. Now that's interesting. It's not working how I wanted it to. I feel like I might have made a mistake here. I did make a mistake. See, training produces more results than just trying. But a relationship with God is not exactly like a barrel race. See, when I train with my horse, I'm in charge. I say which exercises we'll be doing, how long we'll ride, and at what time of day. We work as a team, but I call the shots. Somehow, I overlooked the fact that I am not the one in charge of my relationship with God. I started doing the right things, but with the wrong mindset, and I didn't even realize it. I want to be upfront with the fact that I do not have this all figured out, not even close. I have gotten some of my questions answered, but I still have a lot of questions. And sometimes, I still wonder what good praying even does. I still have to work hard to remember when seeking wisdom that what you know about God is not your relationship with him. And I have to choose every morning when I commit myself to God that I'm also submitting myself to him. Not because I want to, not because I feel like it, not even because it makes sense because sometimes it doesn't to me. I choose to give God control because I believe he is in control. And things don't work so well when I try to be. He is Lord, Master, and King of my life, so I've handed the reins over to him. Pastor D's leadership class has had an impact on me. I learned from it, but I learned about what I learned in it, too. I'd say that anyone who isn't happy with their relationship with God or wants to grow it should take Pastor D's leadership class. I won't tell you that it's easy. The last month especially was rough for me. It wasn't fun wrestling with so many doubts when all that I wanted was to grow closer to God. But looking back now, I see that through that, I have grown. My relationship with God still isn't what I'd like it to be. Things haven't worked out how I'd planned for them to work. But it's not about my plans anymore. It's about God's. And I'm still training, but I'm training for the mission He has planned for me. I hope that me getting up on this stage and admitting to you how I've struggled has made you wonder about yourself. Possibly you've been measuring a relationship with God by how you feel for him. 
Or maybe without realizing it, you've tried to take things into your own hands and tell God how and when to meet you. Or maybe you have a whole different issue in your relationship with God that I haven't experienced. Not having all the answers myself, I can't tell you what to do. Except to search for truth and to question. Yeah, I got myself into a mess of questioning God. But that made me question myself. And sometimes that is not such a bad thing. So, what about you? Where are you at? Thanks. Good morning. Um, my name is Danny Dadera, and um, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. Um, both of my brothers happen to be, which most of you probably know that. Um, but my uh, my um, thing is is mostly like worship leading and playing for the worship team and um, being involved in stuff like that. So the subject that I picked this morning um, was worship. Um, it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart because um, I've been involved with, with leading worship for a long time. And, and even as a worship leader, you really contemplate, um, you know, what are you doing up there? Are you playing the guitar and are you singing? And, and is that what it's all about? And is it about, you know, the, how loud the drums are and, um, you know, and how much you can hear the keyboard and all the technical aspects? And, and those things become important because uh, you don't want to be a distraction when you're doing that. But, but what is at the core? What is at the heart of worship? Um, so um, certainly have given that a lot of thought. Um, so that's why I picked the subject. Um, so worship is something that we will do for all eternity, as um, I think it was Sean that mentioned that, um, in heaven. And when we're in heaven, um, you know, when we worship, we're going to be worshiping God without the hindrance of sin. Um, it'll be a, a complete uh, a relationship with him, and it'll be a perfect worship. Um, the worship defined um, is worship is showing complete adoration and honor to God. Um, that's a, a you know fifty thousand foot view of worship. We um, we show his his greatness and we sing about his greatness. Worship in the Bible is all through the Bible. Uh, in Romans twelve uh, one through two, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that is a way that we can worship God by committing ourselves to him, devoting ourselves to him, and giving him and laying our lives down um, everything that we have. But the the biggest aspect of what you see when it related to worship in the Bible is related to singing. So if you, if you look through the Psalms, um, it's, it's full of singing and, and worship to God. Psalm 66, 4 says, uh, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. Psalm 98, you heard the singing. Psalm 98, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Psalm 95, 1, O come, let us sing to the Lord. 
Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. There's no discipline that will help us sense the presence of God more than singing and worshiping him. He's, he's called us to do that. Singing involves our emotions. It engages our, our, our mind, our intellect, and everything that we have. And um, it is important that our, our singing and when we're worshiping God is however motivated by truth. We don't come to worship God based on you know, how we feel that day. So, and, and part of that too I want to bring into is that our private worship is just as important as our corporate worship. And our corporate worship is what we do when we come to church together and sing together. Uh, private worship can be um, giving thankfulness to God, giving praise um, in a prayer, um, uh, serving Him throughout our day, acknowledging His existence and presence and, and giving glory and honor to Him. And those, those will help each other, um, our private and our uh, corporate worship. So, and so, but back to where I was going, so it doesn't come from a matter of where we're feeling, and um, it's, but it's based on tr- the truth of God. So that song that we sang this morning, that, that probably is many of our favorite worship songs in Christ Alone. It just covers, so the, that, the truth that that song speaks of is right out of the Bible. It talks about who we are and who we are in Christ, and it talks, it gives the whole gospel presentation that Christ laid his life down, he took the wrath upon uh, God, upon himself, um, where we should, we should have been punished, and, um, and that is, that is the hope that we have, and that our eternal life is secure, and every time I hear that song, I get the I get the chills, and that's, that's a great dynamic of worship. That, that should affect us. We should take full opportunity of those moments where we are singing about truth like that and um, in expressing ourselves and singing, and what an opportunity that we have even, you know, we shouldn't take, you know, you know Ben and what he does and, you know, and Jill and, they, you know, working so hard it, because this opportunity that they're creating for us even to worship corporately together in song, agreeing about truth and what God has done for us is an opportunity that we should, we should never take lightly. We should not waste a second of that time when we're in church that we should express with full expression of singing about God's greatness and God's goodness. So that's just a tiny little bit about worship. Um, there's a lot to, I mean, I think Mike did a, a little ser- series on worship um, maybe a year or so ago. It's, it's a great subject, but um, I appreciate you uh, letting me share, and um, I do appreciate uh, Dee's leadership class and, and what it's done to motivate me to memorize scripture, and it is a really cool opportunity for us to, to be a part of. So that's what I have to share this morning. Thank you. Hello, my name is Rachel Downton. I'm a junior in high school right now, and everyone's favorite question seems to be, what are you doing when you graduate? But maybe high schoolers aren't the only ones who need to think about what's going to happen next. 
maybe everybody does, no matter what season of life they're in. Tonight, the question I'd like to ask is, are you going where you want to go? Since all of us are headed someplace, is your someplace someplace you want to be? I'm learning to answer these questions for myself, although I can't say I've got there yet. Not even close. But I'm still going to keep working on it because I believe it's important. Tonight, I'd like to challenge you and encourage you to consider how your life is going and if and how you want to change it. Because the truth is, you probably aren't happy with where you're at. I'm not happy with where I'm at. Life is too short to waste. A couple of years ago, my grandpa took me and several of my cousins out to see a movie. Now, the funny thing about my grandpa is that he doesn't just watch a movie. And he certainly doesn't just watch a movie with us. No, we're supposed to learn something. There's always a quiz after the movie. This particular movie was a true story about a girl who wanted to change the world. She was just a high schooler who was trying to follow Jesus. And even though she was making mistakes, you could tell that she was really impacting the people around her with her compassion. And then she was killed. But even though she's not alive today, her goal of changing the world is still happening. Her parents created an organization in her name to help reduce violence, and her story has been shared through several movies and books. And that's what my grandpa wanted to highlight when he took me and my cousins to the movies. That it's important for us, for all of us, to choose what we want to do with our lives. Because we do get to choose. All of us get one life, one life to spend any way we want. And while nobody can make us do anything, we sometimes choose not to choose for ourselves. And when we choose not to choose, we let someone else or something else choose for us. Now you may be wondering, what's the big deal about choosing? I mean, why does it matter anyway? Well, it's important to choose because if we don't, we'll never get where we want to go. If we don't decide what we want to do, we won't ever do it. We'll live our whole lives feeling as though there's something more, something that we're missing, but we'll never be able to find out what that is. I think that's really sad. Now, I didn't come up with this idea of choosing a path for your life, and my grandpa didn't either. Long before I ever heard of it, and long before my grandpa learned it, King Solomon wrote about it. In Proverbs 4:25, he said, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. In other words, focus on the goal and head for that. King Solomon is known as one of the wisest people who ever lived. It could be a good idea to follow his advice. So after he wrote about choosing a path for your life, King Solomon must have decided that we need to know how to figure out what path we are already on. So he kept writing. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Proverbs 4, 26 through 27. Basically, whatever we are steadfast in, whatever our habits are, wherever we log the most time, that's our path. And the result is that simple multiplication or cause and effect can probably tell us where we'll be next year or five years from now. When Solomon says to give careful thought to the paths for your feet, he's probably talking about self-evaluation. You can see what I need to fix, but I can't, unless I stop and think about it. Or I could ask you, but that's kind of scary. I think I'll try thinking about it first. 
I flipped my car last spring because I wasn't watching where I was going or how fast I was going. Driving is one area of life where it's super important to pay attention to what you're doing. But this principle also translates to other areas of life as well. Whether it's a really big area, like our relationships, or a smaller area, like our hobbies, it can be really useful, even wise, to know what you're doing. Habits are our path. Choosing a destination, making a life goal, deciding how we want to spend our lives, that's all good, and we should do that. But then we have to help out our good intentions, to move them from intention to action. If we want to go somewhere we've never been before, we need new habits, because the ones we have aren't taking us anywhere new. Goals are how we change our habits. They're the baby steps that move us from where we are to where we want to be. For example, I'm a bow hunter. I have a goal to shoot a deer this fall. That's my big goal or my destination in the area of hunting. And then I have a bunch of little goals to help me make the big one happen. I'm going to shoot my bow five times a week. I'm going to do 90 push-ups every day. I'm going to be able to pull 55 pounds by the end of the summer. By completing these little goals, I'm gradually moving toward my destination. If I'd simply decided to go hunting without practicing, I for sure wouldn't get anything. Nothing is sure when you're hunting, but by training, I at least get close to what I really want to do. You know, the great thing about principles, and the bad thing, is that they are a lot like the law of motion or the law of gravity. They're always acting on us, whether we like it or not. The part we get to choose is whether we use them to our advantage or whether we ignore them. If you don't know where you want to go or what you want to do with the time you have left, but you know that where you're headed is not somewhere you want to be, you might try one of Pastor D's leadership classes. You might find a starting point there, and you might find the motivation you need to walk the path to somewhere you do want to be. I did. Thank you. Good evening. Um, I'm Jake Fisher. Uh, prayer. During Dee's leadership class, prayer has impacted me the most. Uh, I'd like to start my day with praying my commitment prayer. Today, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. I am presenting myself to you as your servant. I will follow you and obey you. I will do whatever you ask me to do, no matter how hard it may be. I belong to you, Lord. You have purchased me with your flesh and blood. You are Lord King of my life today. Today I will be devoted to prayer. Today I will read your word. Today I will love my wife as Christ loved the church. Today I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Today I will rejoice about everything and grumble about nothing. Today I will love every person you put into my life, no matter how hard that may be to love. That can be a tough one. <clears throat> Today I will live my life as it is the last day I stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ, and I am rewarded for the life that I have lived for you. Lord, I do not have the strength to keep these commitments on my own. Please give me the strength 
to keep these commitments and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, please fill me with your wisdom and the words to share with others that spread your word and glorify your name. Lord Jesus, I love you. Through, pr through praying my commitments, I have learned and reminded myself every day that I am living for Christ and not my flesh. The power of prayer is so great. My relationship with Christ has grown greatly um, with and through prayer. I am a new Christian and as a new believer, I feel my prayer life was weak and wasn't sure what to pray about most of the time. But as I pray and ask for guidance on my walk with Christ, the Lord has given me the words that I have needed. <clears throat> I pray with my wife often. I feel great power as we pray together and for one another. I would like to share a verse with you on prayer. Uh, James 5:16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I believe prayer, besides reading the Bible, is one of the most important things you can do in your walk with Christ. Thank you. Hi, my name is Steve Dukes, and I chose, chose Bible reading as my topic because I have had, it's had an impact on my life for years. I had read, been regularly reading my Bible since I was around 18. Joshua 1.8 says, But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I started reading the Bible a chapter a day, because I had had a very bad accident in Louisiana, one that I was being sued by several people. Multiple vehicles were involved, and a policeman's car was knocked into the river and the policeman was killed. I myself had a few injuries, which kept me off work for several months. I was being sued by everyone. Because I'd gotten out of my vehicle to see if I could help, I was hit by my own vehicle. And because of that, I was suspected of running from the scene of the accident, and I was being sued the cheapest for $50,000. I was look, also looking at a charge of manslaughter if I was found guilty. I had just come to know the Lord just a few months before. After I had my accident, my pastor came and visited me, and I was mostly alone. I had some uh, relatives that I was st staying with while I was going to school there. While going to school, I stayed there for a few years, but due to the accident, I had to stay for a long, lot longer. I had depositions I had to go to every few weeks. My pastor encouraged me and reminded me that I was never alone and that I could find strength and comfort in the Bible. God blesses us when we faithfully read his word. It also increased my desire to pray. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It took a few years for the trial to start, and the trial lasted for a month. 
all that were in the accident had come to know the Lord, and we are having prayer and Bible reading all together, including the ones that were suing me. I was found innocent on all charges. I even was awarded a cash settlement that paid my doctor bills and a little bit more besides. Now I follow a yearly Bible reading program, reading the Old and the New Testament, the Psalms and the book of Proverbs. Reading the Bible helps me, helps keep you connected. It increases your faith. Romans 10:17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Bible and church fellowship and prayer got me through this trial in my life. It encouraged me and strengthened me. This is what I learned in this lesson. God blesses those who faithfully read his word. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Revelations 1.3 says, Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things that are therein, for the time is at hand. Those who faithfully read God's word will grow stronger and stronger and more mature in their Christian life and walk. First Peter 2.2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Faithfully reading God's word increases our desire and our motivation to pray, and also our power and effectiveness when we do pray. John 15.7 says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Our fellowship and genuine awareness of the presence of Christ will grow as we word, read his word daily. Psalms 119, verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The productivity and fruitfulness of our life is very much dependent on our faithfulness in reading the Bible. Psalms 1, 2, 3, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In all that he does, he prospers. Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is a result of being filled with the sword of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. How much faith we have is a direct result of how much the Bible we have. Matthew 17, 20, and Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Wisdom enters the, one, the heart of the ones who faithfully fill their mind with the wisdom of God through his word. Psalms 119, 119, 97 through 100. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. 
Those who love God's word will bear up under pressure well, be free from stress, and have great peace. Psalms 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary in, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Psalms 119, 119, 49 through 50, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Victory over sin is experienced by those who read the Bible faithfully. Psalms 119, 9-11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guiding it, guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my ear that I might not sin against you. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm going to go to the last part because uh, my ankle's bothering me. Finally, make a goal to read your Bible. Uh, if you, you know, get uh, off of a day or two, just read a little extra to catch up. Use a Bible reading plan. Pastor D has one uh, here at Jefferson D and also the uh, Bible uh, Project. You can also uh, find them online. And read it. Read your Bible every day. Every day. Thank you. Good morning, my name is Carol Siebens, and this is my third time taking Pastor D's Leadership One class. Some of us are slower than others. I wasn't required to speak this morning, but I chose to. I wasn't going to, but then Pastor D said that this was a growth opportunity. I took the class because I wanted to grow, so I decided I better prove it. That leads me to deciding on my topic. This was hard because every th week I thought the lesson was specifically targeted at me. It was something that I needed to learn in my life. I decided it needed to be on something that I thought was helping me most grow this class period, and so I chose seeking wisdom. Now, don't everyone think that because I'm speaking on wisdom, it means that I'm now wise and that I have arrived. The emphasis today is on seeking, which I've been trying to do. I started a new job recently, and it requires me to drive every day to Salem. So I've been using that time to listen to sermons and podcasts. These have been inspiring me to choose to do more. The more I fill my mind with the things of Christ, the more I want to seek Christ. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Every time I read the Bible, listen to sermons, or read inspirational books, I'm combating the messages I get from this world. And what messages do I get from this world? Most of them are about me. You deserve a break today. You have rights. You are entitled. It's easy to start believing the messages unconsciously. So if I'm going to seek wisdom, what is it? Pastor D's definition is this. When someone is wise, they will know what to do and say in every and any circumstance or situation. 
I don't know about you, but I want that. Wouldn't it be cool if everyone that knew me thought I had it all together and always came to me because of my wisdom? I also want it now, and I don't really want to work for it. I am naturally lazy and selfish. If I don't make a conscious choice to pursue wisdom, I will slowly become more and more brainwashed by my environment and the messages I hear from this world. In listening to a podcast one day, I realized that I had unintentionally bought what I call the American lie, the belief that life will be good when I arrive. You know, when I've made enough money to quit work, to retire so I can retravel and entertain myself and enjoy my friends and family without any struggles. Intellectually, if someone asked me, I would say that I am here to serve and know Christ and go, grow in character. And I understand that life is an endurance race, that I need to press on, that I'm not here for me and for my desires. But unfortunately, I noticed that in my thinking, I was thinking otherwise. I realized that much of my thinking was about arriving at the finish line so I could relax, so I could be comfortable, so I could have a great life. I realized that I was striving now so that I could relax later. And this is okay to do if your finish line is in the right place. But where is the right place? Well, I can tell you the wrong place anywhere here on earth. Stop right now and think about what your finish line is. It's the thing that you think will make you satisfied once you do it. Here are some examples to get you thinking. After I retire, after I get married, after I have children, after my kids are all in school, once my kids are graduated and independent, after I have the perfect job, when I have a whole bunch of money, when my house is paid off. So you're thinking, wait a minute, those are all good goals. We should all be setting goals and working to accomplish them. And that is right and totally true. The problem that I have been having with these goals is around the way I have been thinking about them. I think that I want to accomplish them so I can get a break, so I can relax, so I don't have to work so hard. Breaks and rest are much needed and needed for a season and a moment, but goals should be accomplished so we can gear up for the next challenge. Comfort and relaxation should not be our end goal. So where should our finish line be? Heaven. Heaven is the finish line. We are here on earth so we can grow in character and become like Christ and in doing so, bring others to know and to serve Christ. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Does this sound anything like the typical selfish American dream, retirement, vacation, family fun? I'm hoping that you want more than the American lie. You want God's will for your life. You want to grow in wisdom and in character and to be more and more Christ-like every day. Here are some steps to help you on that path. You have to really want wisdom to, to keep, and you have to really want to get wisdom to keep seeking it. It's easy to lose the desire. You need to ask God to give you the desire. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
Second, you can read your Bible, listen to sermons or quality podcasts, and read good books. Psalms 119, 97 through 99. Oh, how I love your law. Meditate on it all day long. Your com- I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. You can find someone wiser than you and ask for advice. Proverbs 19.20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You have to realize that it wasn't meant to be easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Hard things are what make you stronger. If you want to grow in wisdom and character, you need trials. James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And your beliefs change your behavior. Don't believe the selfish messages of this world. I have to continually capture thoughts that go against biblical values. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you believe you are entitled to a life of comfort, that's what you will pursue. If you truly believe you are here to run the race with endurance, you will pursue that. Last, take Pastor D's leadership class. It's worth it. You will learn something every time, even if you choose to take it more than once. So today, when you go home, I want you to think about where you want your finish line to be. It shouldn't be here on earth. It's in heaven. Choose to be like Paul, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Seek wisdom to help you run the race with endurance so you too can look at Jesus and say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Good morning, my name is Hadassah Webb, and I'm here to talk to you about Pastor D's leadership class. Last year, about this time, I was sitting in the audience like yourself. A young man got up and began to share his testimony. A very important visual stuck in my mind. It was the simple illustration of an extension cord. The young man, whom I later learned to be Brandon, explained how our life is like that cord. That tiny part of the plug was our life here on earth, and the rest of our life was the rest of the cord that extended on for all eternity. We were challenged to decide what we were going to do with that little portion of our life here on earth that would make an impact for eternity in heaven and what rewards we would receive when we face the judgment seat of Christ. This illustration hit home for me because I was going through a very pivotal moment in my life. I had just been faced with the possibility of a shortened life. At the beginning of the year, I had gone into the ER thinking I had another kidney stone. However, they found an enlarged spleen and a very high platelet level. I was told to stop any activities that could cause me to be bumped or 
jostled because I could burst my spleen and bleed out within about 10 minutes. My whole life was one big bump. I have three kids who are constantly jumping on me. I had a calf at the time who I was budding me when I was bottle feeding it. Um, I rode and I trained our green bro course and I was in the middle of lambing. I would pretty much have to stop my life. But then came another scare. They believed I had a type of blood cancer that was causing my high platelet count. My life began an unending string of doctor appointments, bone marrow biopsies, and hundreds of other blood tests for several long months. I remember lying in bed one night pleading with the Lord to let me live just a little bit longer to raise my kids. I wanted more time on earth, but I would accept whatever his plan for my life would be, whether short or long. However, if God decided not to give me that extra time and my life was going to be short, I needed to kick myself into high gear and start making a larger impact for eternity. I wanted many rewards in heaven. I had watched my father recently lose his battle to cancer, and I watched him as he walked through that valley of the shadow of death with grace and dignity, and he stayed faithful to his Lord until the end. My father had set a high bar to follow when he faced the challenge of dying gracefully from cancer. My competitive nature wanted to at least as, do as well as my father, and he had been training for his walk into heaven for a very long time. His funeral was attended by more than 500 people, and I wanted to have at least half that many at my funeral. My fondest memories of my dad are waking up in the morning to finding him reading his Bible and praying. Sometimes his praying would turn back into sleep and I would tease him about how godly he was to be praying for so long. I now realize how important his daily commitment of prayer and Bible reading was and how it made him the godly man he was. He was not rich in worldly cash, but the eternal impact he made on teens and Bible quizzing and others throughout the church and community left him with a great treasure in heaven. So when I heard about the leadership class, I knew that this was going to be something to help me jumpstart my impact on others for eternity. I wanted the tools to build myself a heavenly treasure. Pastor's Deeds class is exactly what I needed. One of the biggest aims of the class is to help us bear much fruit for Christ and how to do it effectively. I wanted to make it into heaven hearing my Lord saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. But I also wanted to make it not smelling like smoke. 1 Corinthians 3:12 through 15 says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I have heard Pastor D say that he wants to have part of his reward in heaven to be fishing with Jesus and not shoveling out manure in the heavenly stalls. I know that I probably won't be fishing with Jesus, and I won't be fishing with Pastor D, but that's okay. I really don't mind shoveling manure, and as long as it's horse or sheep, 
I'm okay. I just don't want to be stuck in the pig pens or so far away from Jesus that I can't even catch a glimpse of him. The concepts we learned over these past couple of months have not only been great for spiritual growth, but also are useful for daily living, such as becoming a better parent, a better spouse, or a better employee. One of the first weeks we learned that to be effective for Christ, we need to be committed to some daily duties that start out as dry as dirt duty, but then they progress to being a habit and then become a delight. Another concept that is drilled into us is the practice of the basic disciplines of the Christian life. When we practice and work on these disciplines, they become easier and easier. A general law of life is that those who practice the most and the best will be the most successful in life. I wanted to succeed not only in bearing fruit for Christ, but also in becoming a better person, a better mother, and a better wife. As we practice the basic disciplines of life, we will have a growing power to gain victory over sin and accomplish great things with our lives. The character qualities that we acquire as we faithfully practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life will bring God's blessings into every area of our life. We learned over several weeks and months that the basic disciplines of becoming a more fruitful disciple. These disciplines include Bible reading and memorizing, prayer, gathering together, worship, giving, seeking wisdom, and self-examination or confession of your daily sins. The first duty is Bible reading. We need to have God's word living in us so that we can fall back onto scripture when life hits us with tough circumstances. If we want a growing relationship with Christ, we need to be spending time with him. Bible reading is one of those ways that we show God that we are honoring him and we get to know him. You want to learn about him and that you understand his word is living and active. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In a world where truth is relative and subjective, we need the truth to center us daily in this crazy world. I have found that if I do not get my time in the Word, my day is usually much more chaotic and I am much more cranky than usual. Another tool we learn to be more effective in fruit-bearing is scripture memory. Having scripture in our heads to call on when we become inundated by worldly thinking helps us to replace negative thoughts with correct or heaven-minded thinking. One of the verses says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Therefore, if I want to bear much fruit for the Lord and have lots of stored up treasure in heaven, I need to be meditating on his word all the time. Since I can't always be carrying a Bible around uh, while I'm doing my chores or working with my kids, I can quote the verses in my head. The blessing to this is that whatever I do prospers. How great is that? When I give my time and focus on his word, he blesses me, and I want to be blessed. Who doesn't? In life, we have to make many decisions that impact our lives positively or can have drastic consequences. The basic discipline of seeking wisdom will help us make better decisions. We can gain wisdom from the Lord by reading his word, by spending time in prayer daily, and by also seeking counsel from others. 
Bible reading is key to seeking wisdom. God's wisdom is truth. Wisdom enters our heart when we faithfully fill our mind with the wisdom of God, his word. God blesses those who faithfully read his word. Again, who doesn't want to be blessed? I certainly want as much of God's blessing as I can get. Proverbs 2, 2 through 5 says, Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. If we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. He wants us to humble ourselves so that we can also seek wisdom from others. Job 12.12 says, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? Pastor D seems like a good resource for gaining wisdom because I believe he fits those criteria. This is another reason why attending his classes are awesome. You get great wisdom every week. Another blessing of reading God's word is peace. Those who love God's word will bear up under pressure well, be free from stress, and have great peace. Psalms 119-165 says those who love your instruction have great peace and do not stumble. The world is constantly trying to find peace and serenity. I began looking on the internet for the answer to peace. I got a lot of different answers. Everyone has some way to find peace. One psychologist said that peace could be found in nature. Another had this list. Know your ideal self. Do the next right thing. Let go of perfectionism. Make amends immediately. Practice patience. Let your heart and your head support you. Think long term and validate yourself. Still others said not to think past today, accept things as they are, turn down the background noise, meditate, spend time alone, and give peace. I know where to find true peace. It's in God's word. Allowing God's word to soak into your mind and heart allows you to bear up under whatever trials come your way. I have experienced this. Even during my scariest moments, thinking that my time here on earth was short, I didn't really fear because... Well, I did a little bit. But overall, I was secure knowing that God had it all in control. And me worrying about it wasn't going to do a lick of good except ruin whatever little time I had left on this earth. For most of us, happiness comes from our circumstances. Like when you get the good news that you don't have cancer, or you get a larger tax refund than expected, or you get to go on vacation. But real joy comes from the God. Joy is there despite the fact that you get the news that you actually have cancer. Peace is there from God as you walk through the loss of a job. We do not have to become a victim of our circumstances. Another tool we learn to overcoming tough times is to become a tough-minded person. That is, we act courageously in difficult or hard situations. A major key to becoming a tough person is taking our thoughts captive so that we don't fret or worry. The only way to successfully do this is to memorize scripture and choose to replace wrong thinking with the word of God. Another key to being a tough person and overcomer is to never whine, complain, fuss, grumble, gripe, or worry out loud. That's, a, that's hard to do. I can't control my thoughts, but I don't have to let the thoughts come out of my mouth. 
Do everything without complaining and arguing, Philippians 2.14 says. And again in chapter 4.8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When we begin to worry, we can think on these verses. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And that peace is really beyond understanding. You can actually go through terrible times and be able to survive and be stronger because his peace is carrying you along. God also gives us joy, strength, and wisdom to guide us through those trials. We just have to ask. I am now a year past my scary experience with no real answers. They don't believe I have cancer at this point, but don't know what happened and, or what caused my enlarged spleen or my high platelets. I am basically an enigma to the medical community. However, that is okay. God knows what happened, and I trust him. But I will continue to pursue the task of being as fruitful as possible with whatever time I have left on earth. I want to have a great reward in heaven waiting for me when I hear my Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I strongly encourage you to take this class next year so that you too can learn to be more effective in bearing more fruit for God. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ed Smith. Uh, we usually go to the 9 o'clock service, and I was in Pastor D's Leadership 2 class. I'm going off script for a moment to tell you about our trip to Israel. 38 of us went, mostly JBC family, and what a great family it is. We learned together, we prayed together, sang together, and we laughed a lot together. Our guide was a mixture of historian, biblical scholar, and comedian. His name is Eshgar, which means gift in English, which he truly was to us. I can't really describe the emotions of being right where Jesus was and listening to scripture about that very moment. We were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and a British tour site guide was explaining the pain and suffering Jesus went through for my sins and yours. And then we go over and see a cave that he was placed in, or a cave just like it, that they had discovered. Brought me to tears. Now, I'm not one to show my emotions, so I shared this with my loving wife, who informed me that it was because I'd gotten old. Good to know. Bless Pastor Mike and Chris for trying to keep track of us as we were like a bunch of cats going in different directions. Pastor Mike says that he's going again in three years, so I implore you to save your money and go along. It will be a trip that is so fulfilling it will last your lifetime. <clears throat> my, uh, my paper's on discipline. Most of the, my material was inspired by Pastor D's leadership class and a book called Take the Stairs by Ray Varden. We don't know our future. We don't know the luxury of knowing why things happen the way they do. And absent the ability to see into the future, we aren't entitled, entitled to evaluate the reasons bad things happen today. Faith, therefore, is also choosing to believe that all that is happening today, good or bad, 
is part of an ultimately greater plan. If we do our disciplines, reading the Bible and praying, gathering, worship, giving, seeking wisdom and confessing our sins, and are faithful at doing them, then we can have faith that things are going to get better in the future if we commit to doing our best. The truth about success is it may not be easy, but it is simple, discipline. The challenges we face today are not a matter of skill, but a matter of will. Our problem isn't time management, it's self-management. When you embrace self-discipline as a conscious choice, it's not a source of sacrifice at all, but one of satisfaction. If we measure our successes and failures to the present, they seem huge. If we measure them to our whole lifetime, they seem much smaller. But if we measure them to eternity, they seem microscopic. The way to focus on eternity is to read God's words, set a goal, a time each day to read and get a Bible reading plan. It is the things that seem easy in the short term that become harder in the long run because procrastination and indulgence are nothing more than creditors who charge us interest. Make a commitment. Change the question from should I to how will I? My mother often said, go or get off the pot. You have to understand our family life. We had four females and two males in our house with only one bathroom. We need to focus on the Bible because when we are not thinking about our thinking, our thinking starts to think on its own. For example, I'm not good enough, I can't do that, I'd never be able to do that, bad things always happen to me. Drugs and other substances can make us feel great in the short term, but they lead to a whole string of negative, emotional, physical, and financial consequences in the long term. Marital unfaithfulness can satisfy a short-term desire, but almost always destroys a family. Even something as small as neglecting physical exercise spares us from working out in the short term, but quickly catches up with us in medical expenses, decreased energy, and low self-esteem in the long term. The irony here is that what, that which seems easy and feels good in the short term usually doesn't last long. We need to fix our eyes on the prize. As Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we read the Bible and dwell in God's word, it will help keep us from dwelling on our own problems. And if we pray for others, it will help us to grow spiritually and mentally. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You have heard Pastor D say, much prayer, much blessings, little prayer, little blessings, no prayer, no blessings. Prayer can be difficult to maintain with regularity. We seem to only want to pray to God when we are in trouble or if we have a desire or need. We really need to maintain an attitude of thanksgiving. Looking back at my life and the times I prayed, I realized how few times I thanked the Lord for all the things he did for me, whether they were good or bad. You know, the devil does not want us to pray. You also know that Jesus prayed for hours and hours every day. We need to follow his example and not the devil's. 
Philippians 4, verses 4 through 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Reading the Bible and praying for your church, the body of Christ, should move you to corporate prayer. Corporate prayer acts like a tick wash you give sheep. We all have demons hanging around us, but through corporate prayer, they all get washed off. That is why the devil tries to keep us from going to corporate prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Through corporate prayer, we can achieve that full armor of God and stand firm. Also, a major goal of God is to produce unity in the body, the church. The church grows in unity through corporate prayer. The early church began with corporate prayer in the upper room with the apostles, the women, Mary the mother of Jesus and with Jesus' brothers. As it says in Acts 1, verses 13 and 14, they continually devoted themselves to prayer. The more we read the word and the more we pray will inspire us to do good works. To be effective, we need to memorize Bible verses. That is what the Holy Spirit will use to convict us of our sins and to guide us into the perfect will of God and to motivate us to great accomplishments. Memorizing God's word greatly honors God and demonstrates our love for him. Memorizing and meditating on God's word gives us his wisdom. Memorizing and meditating on God's word blesses us with success. If we persist in disciplines and practice memorizing the word by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have a successful ministry. Personally, I struggle with memorizing Bible verses, and when I have them memorized, I forget where they're from. But it doesn't matter, because when I have a negative thought or become irritated or upset, the Holy Spirit brings a scripture to mind that convicts me of my wrong thinking. An area of ministry often overlooked in the church is that of serving. Leadership is serving. For Jesus said in Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great man exercises authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The greatest leader we have ever known was a servant. We have many areas in the church that need servants. In children's ministries alone, there's child care, Sunday school teachers, helpers, check-in, Awana, VBS, teaching classes to homeschoolers, RFNO, summer camp, and more. Other regular areas Regular areas of serving are landscaping, cleaning, communion, as well as individual products in an annual community workday. Another area of our lives that will change is becoming a cheerful giver. As the Holy Spirit works in us, it frees us up to realize everything is from God. So we're just returning to God what is His. God richly blesses us when we give, and the more sacrificial our giving, the greater the blessing. Giving our money to the Lord will cause us to grow closer to the Lord, and we will experience his presence more in our lives. Giving sacrificially will inoculate us against worldliness. Luke 16, verses 10 and 11 says, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. 
Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Take action. You are much more likely to act your way into a healthy thinking than to think your way into healthy acting. For most of us, it is not a matter of skill, but a matter of will. If you make a resolution to do something today, then you need to make the same resolution for tomorrow. Goals. And that is why we need to read them every day. Why we need each other, the church, to motivate, empathize, push, challenge, celebrate, and pray. If you do not act, you are merely an informed derelict. If you do not act, you are an unfortunate harbor of unused potential. If you do not act, if you do not do, if you do not move, then you shall not have. But if you act, you will win. Father, thank you so much for each person that shared this morning. Um, I just was blessed tremendously by them, by the uh, wisdom that you've given them, the character, just the information itself, but knowing each person, thank you. Use them powerfully. Uh, Lord, use their gifts, their commitment, their passion, where you place them, open up doors of opportunity. And in the days ahead, I pray that they will bear much fruit for your glory and your honor. Thank you that the are part of our church family, and I know that all of us will be blessed and benefited from the work you do in and through their lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.